0: Well, good morning. I want to tell you how much of an honor uh, it is to be with you uh, this morning. I had, I, I'm not just some random they picked out like, hey, let's just pick this guy. Uh, I, I knew, I've known Jay McCumber. Uh, We've we had a few encounters a few years ago, but I, I actually know um, uh, uh, Keith a little bit better. I see that you have him come in from teaching the Word Ministries fairly regularly. And I, he helped me get started in ministry in 2002 when I was itinerant and speaking at uh, different churches. And so... Um, He's, he's super invaluable. But I met Justin through actually through a COVID season when pastors were connecting saying, hey, we don't have a playbook for this. So what are you guys doing? And so we would all be writing emails to each other and having phone calls. Justin, and by the way, I'm realizing now that Justin's just part of the part and parcel with this community. You guys are so welcoming and friendly. That is a commendation to you because you don't find that when you walk in a lot of churches. I hear it at Lifeway. When people come into our community, they'll tell us that. And so they, I could tell you safely, if they came here, if you have guests coming into this place, they're going to be warmly welcome. And that's a, that's a testament to who you are. And Justin was that way when he reached out uh, to me. He said, hey, can we get lunch? Uh, we've had a few lunches over at Longhorn because it sits right on Lifeways <laughs> property. So, You know, like I said, Lifeways property, not the malls. Anyway, I speak by faith. Um, so that's our connection. I'm going to give you a disclaimer about me. I talk really fast, okay? I've tried for, oh, decades to slow that down. I'll be really good for a few minutes and then I get excited and it's all over with. And so uh, I often pray for, uh, instead of praying for me to slow down, I've started praying for people's minds to go faster and their ears to hear faster. So hopefully uh, that'll go good for us today. You ready to get in the word? Father, I ask in Jesus' name for an impartation here in Cornerstone Church a deposit that honors their foundations and honors ultimately the foundations of you and your word. And uh, we ask you to breathe on the word. Most importantly, we ask you to uh, help our hearts to receive it with meekness that we might grow by it. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message this morning is called Bring the Kingdom. And by Bring the Kingdom, I'm talking about the idea of us as the people of God changing the atmosphere, as it were, or the communities uh, around us. Now, your name, of course, is Cornerstone Church. I trust you probably named that after um, Jesus, who is the, the cornerstone, right? And, but, but Jesus had cornerstone practices. In fact, I would say if Jesus is the cornerstone, there are probably four pillars to healthy church life and healthy church growth and kingdom expansion. And those four pillars are prayer, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning leading people to Christ through the gospel making disciples once they say yes to Jesus, and then through it all, creating an environment of care, which I think you guys probably do that fairly well, because if you're as welcoming as you are, then I imagine you're thinking about the care of people. And the fact that I was warned in advance that, uh, hey, they might not even come back because like they like fellowshipping, or I think as Matt put it, he said there were days I realized that if uh, I didn't preach, they'd be just fine with that. They'll just connect with each other. So prayer, prayer I'm going to look at one of the pillars today, and that pillar is the pillar of prayer. And I see it's important to you all. You have it up on your banner up there, and I want to talk about that um, as, Jesus, as Jesus taught it. Now, if I were to sum up the purpose of prayer in one Bible verse, it would be the one from Matthew 6, verse 10. It says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That, that is, when Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer, that in his mind is the purpose of prayer. And so uh, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to open up with a story uh, that will help you kind of wrap your mind where I'm going with us. And, um, and it was a true story that happened to me. I was teaching a class uh, that, I, that I used to teach called Cultivating Fiery Devotion. purpose of the class is just to help people grow in spiritual disciplines in their relationship with God. And and the the foundational premise starts in Matthew 25 with the parable of virgins, and you have five wise and five foolish, and their wisdom or their foolishness was determined by whether or not they had oil in their lamps. And Jesus, of course, says this is what it's going to be like when he comes. And so there's a dynamic in the church of Jesus Christ today as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord, where some people have oil in their lamps and some don't, and they would all call themselves followers of Jesus. That's what the parable is bringing out, okay? And so what ended up happening while I was teaching the class, we were using a facility from another church. And it was an older facility, not too dissimilar from this one. And it was was November, and it was freezing cold in the the room we were in. I mean freezing. We were all wearing coats. And I was going over to the furnace, and I was turning it on, and it was blowing like a furnace. Air was coming out, but no matter what I set that thermostat at, it would not blow heat. So we go through the, the first class. Uh, you know, and it's cold. I get a hold of the pastor that there, who's, who owns the facility. His name's Jake. And I said, Jake, man, it was freezing. No matter what I did, it, it, I couldn't get that thing to heat up. and he said, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He researched it a couple of days later. He said, man, I am so sorry. There was no oil in the tank. What, what a prophetic irony. I am standing there literally living out What it's like when you don't have oil. When you don't have oil, you don't have fire. When you don't have fire, you don't have heat, right? And so I learned a few things that night. I learned at least three things. Furnaces need oil to work right. And so do we, according to Jesus. We need that that rubbing or that anointing from the Holy Spirit that comes from time in His presence, time in the Word of God and the Scriptures, time in prayer, time in worship, when we make what we do on Sunday morning a, a piece of our daily reality, oil begins to happen. You know the word anoint. The word anointing c- comes from the idea of putting oil on something. And it literally means to rub or to smear. And when we hang out with God, just like when you hang out with, I don't know how you're, like my parents never noticed when I was doing well, but when I was doing bad, I got to hear about it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I hang out with a certain friend. I had this friend named Sean, and my parents would say, I don't like you hanging out with Sean. He's rubbing off on you. What are they saying? You're getting Sean's bad anointing. They didn't have that language for that. When we have fellowship with God, like a a poor friend can corrupt our character, but God's character can never be corrupted by yours. And so the power of drawing near to God is there's this kind of transformative change that happens to us. The second thing I learned is a furnace should change the atmosphere around it. It should deliver heat. It should regulate the temperature in its environment. In the same way, do you know heaven has an environment that's regulated by the presence of God? Both it's light, probably it's temperature. I don't know how that works. But but heaven, heaven has an environment. And Jesus called us to pray for that reality. That reality that's in heaven, he wants it to come on earth as it is in heaven. If you go back to the furnace idea, if the furnace has its oil in it and it's burning right, the, the temperature, the environment that's in the furnace begins to affect the atmosphere in the environment that it's attached to. And Jesus called us to pray for that reality. And so... Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And what would happen if we just lived like we expected that? The third thing I learned is that I expected the furnace to do its job based on its design. Just as a thermostat's designed to control the uh, temperature in a room or a house, God's people are designed... To bring his kingdom. You're designed to do it. And your heavenly father, and honestly the world around you, is hoping you will. One thing I've learned from, I, I, we've, I don't know, we've led, seen about over 1,200 people come to Christ since we started Lifeway five years ago. It is. It's an awesome. It's a glory of God. But here's the thing. A lot of those people will come at first and act like they don't want what you got. I, I know that. I've seen it over and over and over again. But secretly in their heart they've got a shadow mission, please prove me wrong. Because there's a God, I want to know him. So all that atheistic thinking, I just tell, when I have atheistic people, I've had people come many times into my lobby, I'm an atheist. And I said, and yet you're here. Hmm. And you know, and those well, I don't know, I don't believe in God. I said, God doesn't believe in atheists, friend, <laughs> you know. And uh, God's put eternity in your heart, and he's going to awaken that thing for sure. So, so here's the question then this morning I want to just kind of begin to open up. What, it, what does it look like for us as God's people to pray like we expect To see the fulfillment of Christ's training. That training where he said, I'm training you guys to pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Not lesser prayers, as it is in heaven. You know, when Jesus taught that, the disciples had made a request to him, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. What were they seeing? Because these are Jewish boys. I mean, Jewish young boys. They know the scriptures. It's recited to them. They don't learn it by reading it. They learn it by orally. And most Jewish boys in that time period of history would know at least the Pentateuch, the first five books, because they were judged by it. They would know that by the time they were 13 years old. And so they would go through each year, they would learn another book uh, until they got the, the first five basically internalized, possibly memorized. They saw a lot of prayer. They'd been to a lot of temple gatherings. It'd be like us going to the Wailing Wall today. There are religious people, they know about prayer, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. It wasn't like they didn't have a clue about prayer. And just like many of you in this room, if I say, I'm going to talk to you about prayer, like, that could be like, boring. But it's because you've got an understanding of what it is. And I bet if the, those boys had been taught, his disciples had been taught, hey, I'm going to teach you about prayer without seeing Jesus' prayer life first, without seeing his life They might not have been interested either, but Jesus would get up and he would go, he would pray in the morning, sometimes he'd pray late at night, but all through the day they saw the results of his prayer life as he was bringing the kingdom in the form of good news, kind acts of service to people, driving out demons, healing the sick, miraculous provision type stuff. And at some point they kept watching that going, hey, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And there might have been a big parenthesis hanging over that wasn't said. It would go something like this. Not like we learned growing up. You pray, and the outcome of your prayer life is authority to change the world around us. I want that kind of prayer life. How about you? And so I don't know uh, if, if you have read the book of Acts recently. I love the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts because the Gospels, I get to see all that Jesus did. But in the book of Acts, I get to see Jesus in people doing stuff. I don't know about you, but when I study Jesus, I don't always get Jesus. Jesus says some crazy stuff. I don't always understand. I can understand his works. I can understand his love, but I don't always understand what he's communicating and what he's doing. When I look at the disciples, I can see the interpretation of what they understood by the way they live. And and, and so it reads like, honestly, it reads like a great movie. I mean, it's got, you know, it's got, it, it opens up with a, a conversation with jesus then a prayer meeting then an outpouring of the holy spirit then a then a church goes from like a 120 person local church to like a f- five thousand person church at the end of the week i always love when people say i don't like the mega church i'm like the mega church was born on the first day of the church you know by the outpouring of the holy spirit you know and so those kind of things and so um but it reads like that I, I would look at a passage I want to look at a passage of those who were taught directly by Jesus and see how they interpreted and lived out Jesus' call on earth as it is in heaven. Because I believe they probably had a better idea of what Jesus meant by what he said simply because of their close proximity and they're being trained by him personally. So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And it reads, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers each. That's 16 people guarding basically a gentle apostle. He must have been a threat. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, was really happening. He thought he was just seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, uh, she ran back without opening it. (laughs) I'm not hospitable. Y'all are a lot nicer than her. Um, And exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, I want to examine this passage a little more closely, and I want to see what we can learn about how the first century church walked out what Jesus taught about prayer and and what we can learn about how we should walk out prayer uh, in our own lives to bring God's kingdom. And I got three observations I want to bring out of this passage as we looked at it. Number one, to bring the kingdom, we need to utilize prayer as a serious solution to real problems. And the reason I bring up serious solution is I think for a lot of people, prayer can have a religious component dynamic, maybe something that makes you feel good in your conscience, but I find that a lot of people are not actually expecting their prayers to be answered. I'm sure that comes from history, that comes from a lot of different things uh, that feed into that. So I'm, I'm really calling us, from what I see in this scripture, what I see the early church walking out, what they believed about Jesus' training, we need to utilize prayer as a serious solution to real problems. So... This king that's over uh, them right now is Herod. Herod's the one who opens up the story. This is not the same Herod that had the innocent children killed early on when Jesus was born. This is a different Herod. And in fact, if you go try to study the history of Herods, there are so many of them, it's ridiculous, a very popular name, you know, and so uh, it'd be like John or something in our culture or whatever, And 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 so... I, as I researched this Herod, this particular Herod, according to uh, Josephus, who was the Jewish historian during that time, in the book of Antiquities, he was considered a good king by both the Greeks and Jews. Everybody loved it, And so it was in the context of that relationship he began to harass the church of Jesus. Now, to put things in perspective, John or James, this is James, not the one who wrote the book of the Bible, James, but the brother of John, the one who would have been him, Peter, James, and John, that crew, so, I mean, no longer after Jesus ascends and the early church gets going, this guy's killed early on. He's probably, probably the first martyr of the church outside of, of course, Jesus himself. So he just gets executed. The, and the church's answer, listen, so, so and they know that uh, Herod is planning to do the same thing to Peter. Now, I want you to notice what the church does. Oh, man, guys, uh, you know, James was just killed. Peter's slotted next. What should we do? Let's have a prayer meeting. They saw prayer as a serious solution to a very real problem. Imagine if one of your leaders, God forbid, was taken out by the government and executed, and they had another one of your leaders, and you're like, man, we need to call a prayer meeting. That's what they they were doing. And so the early church was so, I mean, uh, I'm just so amazed at this. The early church was so committed to prayer that they had daily prayer meetings at 3 p.m. every day and would add prayer meetings as needed. Christ was so committed to prayer, like I told you, he would rise a great while before daylight. He would, he would stay up late at night. Sometimes he prayed all night. In fact, the time before he walked on water, he had been all night in prayer. Evidently, it was an uplifting experience. Um, so, so why? Why, like, why would you invest in, in a real situation where real bad things could happen? Why would we invest energy, and why did they invest energy in something so sketchy? Does prayer even work? Because when I pray, sometimes it doesn't. And perhaps sometimes when you pray, sometimes it doesn't. And, and so it could feel unreliable. But I want to show you something. I want to show you a couple stories from the Bible to illustrate their commitment to prayer as a serious solution to real-world problems, and then we'll progress talking about our own hearts in this. Um, one time they were on their way to a prayer meeting, actually, at 3 p.m. There was a guy. They say he's an older. he was an older man, roughly in his 40s. I'm like 51, I'm a little offended at that. But anyway, an older guy in his 40s was lame. He had been, he's, he's, he'd been paralyzed or lame, as it were, from birth. Whenever you see lame, that's what it means in the scriptures. He'd been paralyzed from birth. And so I, I was in a country, I went to Cambodia and I did missions there. Because the Khmer Rouge had really hurt uh, the people of Cambodia, there were mines and all kinds of stuff, and farmers would get blown to, I mean, hurt, like not blown to bits in the sense of death, but they hit these minds and it might dismember them, it might leave them blind, and those kind of things. And this one particular guy, I saw a guy in Cambodia who has missing like at least one limb and his eyes were turned back white, and I compared that to the poverty in our nation when people say, you know, we'll work for food or something. I'm not here to judge them, but I'm saying, this guy couldn't, there is no job for him. If people don't provide for him, if they don't give alms to the poor, he's not making it. And so Peter and James or they're, they're coming or not Peter and James, I'm sorry uh, Peter and John are coming by for a uh, prayer meeting at around three o'clock in the afternoon, and they walk by this guy, and they see him there, and he says, "Hey,, I, you know, alms for the poor, help me out here." And Peter looks at him and says, "Hey, uh, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give you, right? What I have, I give you. What I have will change the atmosphere of your life. What I have will give you a new opportunity. To get a leg up on life, no pun intended. What I have is going to change your world. Rise up and walk. And he does. And it blows the whole place apart. Everybody who's seen this guy, they're just like, whoa. What was that? What just happened? They heal this guy. As they do that, so he's on his way. Catch the seriousness of prayer. I'm on my way to a prayer meeting. Oh, there's a guy who needs help. Get up. Be healed. Okay? Then the religious leaders get mad. You know, religious, religious leaders still get mad today when you actually believe in a God who's supernatural. It's cool when Jesus fits in our little box of religion, not what he wants to impact every tier and sphere of society. That's totally different. And so there's, that's, that's where the, you can test yourself today. Am I religious or am I real? Well, you're, if you're religious, you don't want the kingdom of God to impact every tier and sphere of society. You're comfortable with it having your little space on Sunday mornings, maybe a private devotional life at work. Nobody talks about religion, that kind of thing. Real, real, people who are followers of the way, the ones who follow Christ. By the way, we named it Lifeway because of that passage. We want to be followers of the way, the one who has life. I trust you're here today. and my experience, you would tell me that you're, you are followers of the way as well, but there are people that will persecute that, and they're mad. And so, the, you know what the apostles do when they're persecuted? They are threatened. Like, they're, they're, they're beaten, and then they're threatened, and they're saying, don't preach anymore in this name. And so, after Peter tells them, hey, you decide whether we should obey God or man, the first thing they do is call a prayer meeting. This is their commitment to prayer as a, as a, as a, uh, a, a real solution to real problems. Acts 4.23, it tells the story. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats, the ones that don't preach anymore in this name, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I honestly think they added that in the prayer because, hey, Lord, that seemed to be the thing that really uh, ticked them off, so do more of that because it really works at stirring, at at getting the crowds to pay attention. I'm going to say this. To the early church, signs and wonders were not like optional equipment, like we think we buy a car. You want power windows, or you want power stuff, or not? No, power was essential to testifying to Jesus Christ, and they wanted that, and they asked for that, and you see them ask for it here. After they prayed, the place where they were all meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen to the outcome of this: and they all spoke the word of God boldly. I love it. That's what they asked for. They got empowered to do the very thing they asked for. Here again. Prayer meeting, man gets healed, persecution and threats, another prayer meeting, boldness to keep preaching. Can you see their confidence in, in, in prayer as a serious solution to real world problems? Their experience of prayer was supernatural in nature. Let me ask you something. Why is that even up there if you don't believe that? And I'm not judging saying you don't believe that. But if you don't believe that, and this is your congregation. We're looking at a foundation. We're looking at, at rebuilding foundations. And the foundation of prayer is absolutely essential to making sure that you're building on, on uh, the foundation that Jesus Christ has laid for us in his example. Their experience of, with prayer, I think one of the reasons they depended on it is it, their, their experience was supernatural in nature. That's why when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray like he does, they wanted the life and power that he was walking out uh, every day in front of their lives. Do you? I love what Jesus says. I, I do. And I love, I love their, there's this great promise from Jesus. Well, promise, statement. Little children, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you the kingdom. Why? So you can bring the kingdom. They expected God to release I was uh, in, in listening to uh, Joy's prayer during worship about we don't need guns and we don't need all that stuff. And, and their expectation was the weapons of their warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the destruction of strongholds. They expected God to release his governing power against the governments of man that will not come into alignment with God's will, that your kingdom come. You know what a kingdom is, right, by the way? A kingdom is a king's dominion, kingdom. That's what it means. It's just a short way of saying king's dominion. So when you think of of the governments of man that aren't submitting to the leadership or authority of Jesus Christ, their answer was not to pull up earthly weapons of warfare. Their answer was to pray. You say, oh, is that a real answer to real problems? Check this story out. Herod, that same Herod that we just talked about that was persecuting them, let me tell you about how he died. He stands up. And he gives this oration your Bible tells you in the book of Acts. He he gives this great speech, and the people go nuts. Jews and Greeks are all starting to shout out, this is the voice of a God and not of a man, voice of a God and not of a man. Imagine a chant going on in a a thing. And and it says, he was struck by an angel of the Lord, and he died. So I was thinking, is any good student of the Bible would? I said, huh, if this is a king who's in history, history should tell us about the way he died. So I did some research. And sure enough, Josephus to the rescue again in the book of antiquities. Josephus loved King Herod. So, because Josephus was considered a compromising Jew to the serious Jews. though He was a historian. He liked his life in in the Greek culture. And so he records this as one who liked the king. He tells the story just slightly differently, but it's it's close enough. Uh, Herod, what happened, so they have their own superstitious things in the Greek culture. One of those was that he had this weird omen, as he called it, where he saw an owl during the day, because you don't normally see owls during the day, right? They're night creatures. And so this owl just appears uh, early on before this speech at some point, like a different day. And he goes to his spiritual advisors about it. He says, hey, what's up with this owl? Like, is that a bad omen or a good omen? They said, if you see it once, it's a good omen, but if you see it again, you will die. The day he gives the speech, guess what shows up again? It says he sees this owl, and this is his own testimony before he died. He had given this stuff to his people. I saw the owl, and I immediately, he was seized with pain in his gut. The Bible tells us that the angel struck him and worms ate him. Gross. From the inside. And so when he saw the owl, he was immediately seized with pain, and four days later, he died. That's history. History uh, corroborating the Bible's history. God really can't intervene. We, we, like, I want you to think about the Jews and the early church. They were under ungodly leaders. Friends, I know most of you won't like this, but, I, but, but you know, I, I, I served in the United States Marine Corps. I get, I get, I get patriotism. I get a love of freedom. I had one guy come up to me one time because some of my thoughts have shifted. He goes, you said, you, when I, I, you can go listen to my series on kingdoms right before the election. I just did two messages on, on where I think the, the big C church of Jesus needs to be. We're not trying to point people left to right. We're trying to take them up to Jesus, right? If they come to Jesus, their perspective is going to be impacted by following him. Right? So I had this guy come up to me you, and say, you're not a real patriot. I said, did you raise your hand and swear an oath to the Constitution of the United States to defend it from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and were you quite ready to give your life? Because I trained with all kinds of manner of weapons. I learned to charge positions. What did you do except just criticize me just now? He hadn't, of course. And so I get all that, but what if there is a power that's greater? What if there's an authority that's higher that we could appeal to? Because I believe we can. And by the way, I still have two sons. i got two sons in the Air Force right now. I'm not against the military. I just know, man, compared to God, that's just weak. It's the spirit of, of the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer's labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen watch in vain, you follow the logic there. And so they expected God to release his governing power against the government. It's a man that will not come into alignment with his will. What if a church took that seriously? I mean, the big C church in the country, and we began to go, God, this nation is not our nation, it's ultimately yours. The earth is yours and the fullness in it. Therefore, you hold the heart of the king in your hand, uh, Proverbs tells us, and you, channels of water, you can turn it whichever way you wish. What if we actually believed that when we prayed? I'm talking to me now. And they simply prayed with faith that that praying in faith was the way to bring the kingdom of God in their generation, which leads to our next observation for our own lives. Number two, to bring the kingdom, we need to expect miracles in our everyday life. We need to expect miracles in our everyday lives. Let's go back to our first story about Peter in prison. I just want to review what happened there. Because if you read that slowly, dude, that is so cool. That reads like a sci-fi movie or a fantasy movie or something like, like an angel appears and he's got, he's got 16 guards around him. And an angel, just like speed of light, he's just in the room. I always tell my church, I'm like, okay, we get these ideas of how it works. Like, there's no Disney sound effects with angels when they show up. It's not good. It's not like Tinker Bell. It doesn't happen. They're just there, speed of light. They come from a god of light. They move at the speed of light, and they're in prison, casting light. <laughs> and so he appears. So for, let's start with this. The church is praying constantly. Suddenly, an angel appears. He wakes Peter up. Waves his angelic hand and the cuffs and chains fall off of Peter's wrist. You know, it's like Star Wars in the Forest. You do not need those. Whoa, you know, and he just off his wrist. Peter gets dressed. The angel leads him past two sets of guards on duty who do not notice Peter walking out of his prison. So that was a lot of dudes. He just walked by. They get to the city gate and it just opens. It says they walk down the street. It's a city gate. I don't know if you ever pulled up. Pull up an Israeli city gate so you can get a good eye, or a Greek city gate so you can get a good eye how big those are metal gate. Like the angel goes, you know, I don't know how up, I don't know which way it went, but it opened up. And they walked right through it. It just opened. They passed through it. And the angel escorts him down the street away from the prison. And then the angel disappears. Now listen, here's my point, And this is a point we need to consider. Angelic activity was so common for the early church. When Peter shows up at the door and knocks, most of the people thought it was his angel. Would you think that ever? That would never enter my mind. Uh, It's not Peter. It's his angel. When you have more faith for an angel than Peter, you're living in a different dimension of of supernatural understanding than maybe we do in the Western church here in the United States. Look at Acts 12, 13 through 16, tell the end of that story. Peter knocked at the, we read this a minute ago, I'll do it again. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. Okay, why were we having this prayer meeting? Wasn't it for Peter to get free? Anyway, when she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Come on, think that they were astonished that it was Peter and not an angel. Saying it differently, they had more faith for an angel to show up than a freed Peter, the apostle, to show up. But angels were so common in their day, so common in the Bible, in their history, and in their theology. they, They really believed they were entertaining angels sometimes aware, sometimes unaware. What if Herod entertained an angel unaware in the form of that owl? Well, the Bible tells us he did, doesn't it? And that kind of expectation and faith leads to our next and final observation and call to action for our own lives. And that's this. To bring the kingdom, we need to persevere in faith that what we're hoping for will come to pass. Let's talk about hope for a minute. Abide these three, faith, hope, and love. Everybody knows that. It's been on your refrigerator, your coffee mug, and anything else you got. You got something that has that on it, most certainly. You know, or you did it one time, or you know someone who does. Oftentimes, you'll hear, I've heard like hundreds of teachings on love and hundreds of teachings on faith and almost no teaching on hope. Anybody else? And You've got to wonder why that is. And I think it's just ignorance of how it all works together. See, Romans tells us the reason we have hope shed abroad in our heart is because God loves us. So when we abide in God's love for us, a dynamic of hope happens. In other words, I think these are actually, when Paul said the greatest of these is love, and then probably in reverse ascending or, or descending order then, love, hope, and faith is activated because of that. Faith working through love, the Bible talks about in Galatians. So what's the purpose of hope? Remember we talked about thermostats? When you walk up to your thermostat, right, You, you if, say it's cold and you want to warm it up. You walk up and you set that temperature. Let's say it's, your house is like 55 degrees. You came home from a vacation and it got cold and you had, your, you had it off or something and you come into a cold house and you go turn it on and you begin to set it up to 65. You want it to jump 10 degrees. The thermostat sets the temperature, right, but then, then all the uh, furnace... Properties and things, the engagement, its, its mechanicals begin to come into play and warm your place up. It begins to change the atmosphere in your home. Okay, hope is faith's thermostat. Hope, sets, hope says it can be. Hope says it's possible. And then faith says, well, if it can be and it's possible, then it will be. give a couple, tell you two stories that, that truly happened in my life that help illustrate this. Uh, we began to, to have two stories with the same guy, by the way. It was a home builder, a man named Dan Seacrest. He owns Custom Home Group. And Dan was building our first home in the uh, southern end of Lancaster, down in New Providence. It was the time when they were about to rough in all the plumbing and, and drill for the well, and I came out for the well drilling, Dan. I said, well, how do you find the water anyway? He said, well... Basically, we we invite the, the the well driller comes out and he takes his dowsing rod, and I'm thinking what? And he says, and he goes around the property and he, you know wherever it points, that's where they drill. And I said, don't they call that water witching? He goes, yeah, but it's probably just physics. I said, yeah, you're not gonna do that on my property. I don't know what that is, so we're not gonna do that. He said, well, you can tell us where to drill, but if we if you miss it, if you miss the drill, you're gonna have to pay for the re, the first drill and the re drill. And I said, okay. So tell me what are the rules? He's like, well, the septic's down here, wells. are he gave me all that parameters. So I walk around my property where it's appropriate, and I'm praying, Lord, where do you want this well? Pray, 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 pray. I'm praying in the spirit. I'm just trying to listen. I remember I even told him, I said, right before I started praying, God found water for Elijah, he'll find water for me. So I, I walked around. And By the way, let me just say a note on that. The Bible becomes a radically different book when you stop treating it as a book of history and more as a book of possibility. And so I'm walking around, and I'm praying. I've never done this before. I'm not a professional. I'm a dude who's going to go work in a warehouse as a warehouseman for the next hot several hours, okay? So I'm, I'm walking over, and uh, I, I'm praying, and I, I feel drawn to this one spot on my property. It's hard to explain when you're just drawn to something. You ever been drawn to someone or someone, you feel a connection? I kind of feel a connection with that part in the ground. I'm like, hmm. I said, right here, I claim 39 gallons a minute right here. He goes, "Pah." <laughs> ha Sorry, to be not to snap that thing. <laughs> he just laughs. He's like, are you kidding me? That house up the hill, they got a gallon and a half. House over here right next door to you, three gallons. He said, if you had three gallons, you'd have a great well. I said, there's 39 gallons a minute. Start drilling. I'm going to work. I talk all tough. I go to work. I work, it's about midday. He calls me up, says, hey, man, we've gone 200 feet. We haven't found anything. What do you want us to do? I'm like, there's water there. Keep drilling. I know there is. You know, I hang up. You know what I did after that? I did like every good gunslinger, and I, you know, I shook in my boots. That's what I did. I was like, Ha-ha. I pray, God, please let there be water there. You ever done that kind of stuff? Talk tough to the bully, but then you know, talk, talk, have a have a uh, desperate prayer to God. About an hour, hour and a half later, he calls me back. Um, we went another eighty feet. You're not going to believe this. I knew where he's going. I said, "Yes, I will." He said, "We got about forty gallons a minute here." I said. So tell me, I was actually disappointed it was 40 and not 39. I was like, uh, could you tell me how you do that? Like, he said, well, basically, we got these five-gallon buckets. We got to stop watching. We're, we're filling it. You know, we're, we're catching the water and whatever. So, so, so theoretically, it could be 39 gallons. Yeah, it could be. I said, it is, you know. So he I said, put that on the well lid. Here's the lesson I want you to learn from that story. The distance between what can be manifested in your life, that hope that you want to see become a reality, that hope that I had that there was water in the ground, where I declared there was water in the ground that distance between that was 80 feet of perseverance in faith that my hope was set in the God who found water for Elijah and the distance between what you're contending for what you need in your life that distance between what you're currently experiencing and what is is perseverance and confidence that the God of the Bible is still alive and well today Second story I want to tell you is working out, that guy liked me so much, he hired me later after that crazy story. And almost everybody he built the house for that had a well wanted me to come pray over the property. I said, look, that was a one-time deal, people. Uh, I'm not trying that again. <laughs> but um, but I, I, did, um, I did end up working for him. And one day we were renovating a basement and we had to put plumbing into the basement. And uh, because they were going to put a bathroom in there. And so Dan called me. I never, I always worked in the office. I worked with the customers. I built contracts, things like that. But Dan brought me out and said, hey, could you help us today? We need help. I said, Dan, I'm not really, that's not my thing. I'm not really good at that. He said, you don't need to to know how to do anything. Just carry the trash, the rubble out and all that stuff. I said, oh, I can do that. Okay. So I changed my clothes, came out to the job site. And uh, I walked in. About that time, one of our employees, a guy named Phil, was cutting about a three foot by three foot square on the ground with a concrete saw. He begins to take his, uh, uh, a digging iron. I don't even know what a digging iron was in Texas. We either don't call it that or whatever. But, you know, if those from around here, maybe you know that. But it's a big pole. It's got a blunt end and a sharp pointed end. And he begins to take that thing. Maybe it's four or five feet long. I don't know. It's really heavy. It fills a big strap and farm boy. I mean, this guy's got muscles on his muscles. And so he's like, pow! He just begins to hit the center of that spot. I see it Dan. Dan. I'm over with Dan away from Phil. I'm like, what's he doing? He's, he's going to break the concrete so we can put the plumbing in. I said, he's not going to get through that concrete. He's like, I said, have you heard of gap power supply? Why don't we go rent a jackhammer or something? He's like, no, 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 he'll get through that. Phil keeps going. He probably hits it 100, 200 times. I don't know how many times he hit it. But as he keeps hitting it, by about the three times before it would collapse, I begin to see what looks like flashing. I'll call it a sign that a breakthrough is about to come. But I see this flash happen multiple times, it, maybe, maybe three times or whatever. It wasn't much. I think the reason it was flashing is because the, you know how the concrete gets that polished look in a basement? I think the light hitting it began to move as the, as the floor moved and so it looked like it was flashing. Hits it, and by that, so it's, it's down to a little T-minus whatever, about to break through. Three, two, and then, and it falls through. I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me out of the blue. He just said to me, pay attention to what you just saw. That's how you break a stronghold. So I said, Lord, what do you mean? He said, in this parable of a picture, Dan's the intercessor, fills the Holy Spirit, and you're the devil. I'm like, what? (laughs) He says, the intercessor carves the target on the ground and declares what he's going after. The Holy Spirit then begins to respond to the prayers and begins to pound. Maybe angels and all that, the spiritual realm of God's realm, begins to respond to those prayers and begins to pound the stronghold. For those who say, I don't know about all that, see Daniel. Okay, the book of Daniel covers this real well. Okay, so then he pounds it. About that time, when the intercessor starts to go to get a breakthrough, the devil comes along and says, you're not going to get your breakthrough. You don't have enough power. And he says, all the intercessor has to do is maintain their hope and faith that what God has revealed to them, what God has spoken, and the thing they're going after is the will of God. They're seeking to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. All that intercessor has to do is look at the devil and go, we will get our breakthrough. Period. Just maintain that faith and don't give up. Persevere. And, and he said, and then the breakthrough, uh, of course, will come. Here's the point I want to make to you about whether it's the water, whether it's a breakthrough like the concrete. See, the, 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 there was no breakthrough until there was. I, I wasn't raised in the church. I grew up in the world. Growing up in the world, I lived a sinful life. I had all kinds of bondages when I came to Christ. And some of those things hung on for a while afterwards. I was addicted to smoking. I, I would smoke like two packs of Marlboro Reds a day. I remember praying every day, God, free me from addiction. I don't want to be, I want to follow you wholeheartedly. This is, a, this is in my way. And, and so he, um, the Lord said, well, you, I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, you love smoking. Okay, I'm not going to argue with God. Okay, yes, I do. He says, pray for the character of Jesus because the character of Jesus won't sustain cigarettes. I thought, cool idea. And I'm not smarter. I had to be God because I'm not even enough to think of stuff like that. So then I was like, I'd wake up every day. I would literally light my cigarette, take a drag off the cigarette. Lord, or right before I would light it, I would say, Lord, uh, thank you for the character of Jesus. I know the character of Jesus won't sustain these things. And I'd light my cigarette and go about my day. I did this for like about a month. I don't even know. Maybe every day for like a month. One day I went up, I woke up to grab my cigarette pack, and I had this thought come to me. I'm going to call it the Holy Spirit because of the evidence afterwards. I heard heard him say, put him down. You don't need him anymore. And I didn't. And it was that simple. I didn't have any withdrawals, no addiction. See, breakthrough didn't come. There was no breakthrough until there was. Are, Are you following what I'm saying? There's areas of your life that probably need breakthrough. I know there's areas of the world around you and this church occupies and your neighbors and the people you're trying to reach in this community where there's breakthrough needed. What would happen if a people who actually believed God, who had courage and would give leadership to seeing that breakthrough come to pass? Hope said it can break. It's possible. Faith said, oh, it will. Worship team, would you come back up? Let me finish with this. Let's talk about your experience. Why doesn't my experience look like what is laid out in the Bible? Well, because it takes courage. It takes courage to spend time with God, to cultivate oil in your lamp, so to speak, in your inner man. Remember, that furnace could not change the atmosphere around it. It functioned like a furnace It looked like a furnace, it blew air like a furnace, but it had no fire in the belly of the furnace because it had no oil. There's a lot of people running around, they look like the church, they hang out with the church, they sound like the church, but they've not been in the presence of God, and so they have nothing going on inside their inner man. And so, we'd say blowing hot air, but they're actually not, they're blowing cold air. And and so, when we put ourselves in the presence of God. And listen, don't complicate that. People are like, I don't know if I do it right. I hear this all the time when I'm discipling people. I just, I'm sure I'm doing it right. I promise you, a sovereign, omniscient, all-powerful God knows when you're trying. I could tell you stories, but we're out of time. More stories about my own personal life than this. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I knew none of this. Everything I told you today, zero of it was taught to me growing up. But I just tried in faith that God's grace is bigger and better my effort. And that if I will show up, so will he. If I will draw near to God, he will draw near to me and he'll draw near to you. It takes courage to spend time with God. It takes courage to depend on prayer as a serious solution to real problems. Because when you, people are facing something they're going through and it's like, well, can I pray for you? Well, depending upon where they're at with that, they're, I've had people go, yeah, sure. But they mean like at a distance, don't touch me and stay far away from me. You know, you know those people, you probably try to pray for someone once or, once or twice in your life. To take, take on when the world looks at prayer is just like, that's nice, that's your little lucky rabbit's foot. No, man, that's a real, that's a serious solution. It takes courage to create a culture of prayer in our churches. In fact, it takes leadership. So remember, Peter's kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Here's what I want you to catch here. Sometimes the thing we're facing is in its own prison. It's sometimes, I believe there's many times God will call us, don't pray alone. They prayed together for his release. Maybe one of them said, I don't know if I can believe for this. It looked like they all weren't really believing for it because when he showed up, they, <laughs> they thought it was an angel. I love their faith. I got faith for angels. I don't have faith for freedom. Okay, that's awesome. I wish I had faith for angels. Anyway, you know, so it's that kind of thing. So they, they prayed together. Don't face your stuff alone. And I, I want to call the leadership of this house, however you represent, however you get it through your teams. What would it look like? I don't know if you have prayer meetings here during the week, but what if we try to have a daily prayer meeting at Lifeway Church every day? And we do that because I believe that there's nothing. We, if you ever come to our church, we're very 21st century. We got all the things people want to hate on churches for. I got haze. I got moving lights. I got all that stuff. But more importantly, I've got the presence of God in our midst. And that comes from asking, seeking, and knocking. In fact, I want to say this. in the, We often want the extraordinary. All these stories, right? But remember, they had a daily prayer meeting. They didn't see the extraordinary every day. They did the ordinary every day, and then the extraordinary would follow at some point. We often say, God, I'll show up and do the ordinary if you'll do the extraordinary. God says, just show up and do the ordinary because it's good for your heart. But believe that I'm gonna move, and then at some point, I will move. And I'll move in your circumstance, and I'll move in your world, and I'll, I'll blow your mind. It takes courage to believe that God will miraculously intervene in our lives today. It takes courage. I had a young lady. Her name's Victoria, a young mom. Her name's Victoria Buckwalter. She's a member of our church. She shared this last year at our members' uh, annual members' meeting. She shared the story of going through Core Discipleship Intensive, which is our discipleship program. Because remember, one of the pillars of the church is making disciples. And she was going through the 16-week program. And while she was in it, she she told the story about she grew up with a uh, uh, autoimmune disorder that attacked her esophagus. And so she had this, there's a name for it, but I don't remember it. It's long and weird and, you know, and all that medical. But it attacked her esophagus, and so she would have to see a doctor annually just to see how it's going. They expect this to degenerate over time. One of the outcomes of this particular autoimmune disorder is that food would get lodged or stuck, and it made her very afraid to just eat. Something that should be pleasurable is fearful for her. And one time while she was in court, because in, in the discipleship program, a good discipleship program is going to reveal God to you, theologically, right? You're going to see God. But we also have a tendency then to see ourselves in the light of those experiences. And she was coming to know a good, good father, a good God. And God said, you know, Victoria, one of she, as your ears begin to be open to hear the Holy Spirit, she said, he said, you ask me every time you face this to get you through it. How come you don't ask me to heal you from it? And she said, well, Lord, because you think about it, you've lived with something your whole life. Like It's like those of us who I wear glasses, those, those of us who wear glasses asking God to heal something that's been around, a chronic disease that's been around for a while is hard to ask for healing for. We just get used to having it in our life, right? And she was used to it. And on top of that, she said, Lord, I'm not worthy of being healed. Like, I'm, I've got my issues, and I've got my sins. And he said, you don't get how this works. You know, I saved you by grace through faith. Everything comes through that. Your sins have already been forgiven. Ask me. I want to heal you. We have a meeting. We have a, a, a weekly prayer meeting. We call it Ascend. It's a night of worship and prayer, and uh, we we come together. and By the way, you're all invited on any given Wednesday at seven p.m. If you want to hang out and pray with us, we love people to other churches to come from the community. Many we do have several like a you know, Living Word. Some of these other ones come, and you're always welcome to come worship with us. Stay at your church on Sundays because you can come hang out with us and pray on Wednesdays and. Uh, it's fun, and, or you can come to any of our day prayer meetings, but in this particular meeting, one of the things we do is we just worship. There's no agenda but to worship and wait on the Holy Spirit and see what he wants to do. Pastor Vern got up and felt like, I feel like God wants to heal some people here tonight. She heard the Holy Spirit say, Today, tonight, today's your day. And so she, he, 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 when Vern gave the call, who needs healing or whatever, she just, she raised her hand sheepishly, she says. I had to go watch the members meeting to make sure I could remember the story. I watched it this morning, <laughs> make sure I got the details right. She said she raised her hand, I raised my hand sheepishly, she said, no sooner did I put my hand down, and I felt this burning right here in my chest. She said, I told my husband, I said, Mark, I think I've, like, I think God's doing something. It feels like, kind of like heartburn, but, but not heartburn. Ironically, or uh, as the Lord would have it, two weeks later, she had a endoscopy scheduled to go take a look down there anyway. It was already scheduled like a year in advance. She shows up, the doctor does the endoscopy, they do a biopsy while they're in there, A few days later, he calls her back. He says, Victoria, I got some great news, and I don't really understand it, but uh, there's no signs of this autoimmune disorder. It doesn't look like you've ever had it. You have a perfect esophagus. Yeah. And so so she says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. She says, I go to worship and prayer meetings. (laughs) Do, Do you think her testimony has not only did it change the atmosphere of her life, do you think it changed the atmosphere of the doctor who heard it? We had a lady who we were preaching on Easter. She came and told me she had Parkinson's disease. I'm talking the kind where you shake a lot. During our Easter service a few years ago, so when we were in the movie theater, I was preaching Sunday morning. She said, I don't remember what you said, but I saw this flashing light and I went unconscious. She said, I don't know, I went unconscious because the service was ending when I came back conscious. But she said, when I came back conscious, I was not trembling anymore. Nobody prayed for her. And really nobody prayed for Victoria. She just received the God, the good God by faith. In what he wants to offer. And, and this lady, both of them got, both of these, I have the, the Parkinson's ladies, I have her doctor's test. I said, would you mind getting that verified by a doctor? Because I'm just sorry, because I tell these stories to people, yeah, right. I got the doctor's report saying, it appears she no longer has Parkinson's disease. That's, you know, they're not going to say, they're not going to go that strong. She definitely does not, but it appears. Uh, she has no tremors uh, anymore. And it takes courage to persevere when others have already given up. Listen, I know, like, I've prayed for things. I've prayed for people who've died, lots of them. But I've prayed for people who've lived, too. I've prayed for provision when I needed it. You know, we, we uh, 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 like, Tessa reached out and said, you all are praying for us this month. Like, we need, we need a new, we've outgrown our facility. Like, we need another location. Like, we'll, we'll stay in this location. We'll probably launch another. We've got people coming from, you know, well beyond Myerstown out to Robesonia and We've got way up north and down in Lancaster County and, and out to Hershey and beyond, and we've got opportunities to go to make an impact. We it's so hard to find a facility. I have to believe, like, we, I know that because that's how I ended up in a mall. I didn't want to be in a mall. People are like, oh, you guys are all trendy or being weird trying to be in a mall. No man, it was literally all I could find. It wasn't that I wanted to be in a mall. I did not. I drugged my feet all the way through that process until the building project. So. And I'm believing God when, when others have given up, say, oh, we're not gonna find anything. I'm going, yeah, God's got something for us. He'll find a place for us in the land. You've got your own thing that you need. I want you to think about two things from Peter's life as we close. Peter in prison. Peter was in prison. What's in prison in your life that if you would take prayer seriously, expect miracles in your circumstance and persevere in faith, God might supernaturally bring it forth and set it free. When Peter was taken out of prison, right, he even thought it was only a vision. Listen, what's only a vision? Come on, there are businesses inside of people here. There are ministries inside of people here. There are ideas for outreach inside of some of you here. There, there's, 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 there's dreams for what this church could be when it's fully realized in God. What's only a vision in your life that God wants to make it to a, into a manifestation of his grace, power, and love in your life? Friends, this is why. We pray. We pray. We we look at how they pray, but why we pray is to to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I want to take a moment here. I, 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 I know, like if I look across the room, all of you are probably saying, yeah, I know. I know Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for that. So but what I want you to think about is where you're at right now and the things I've said. I want to give you a chance to respond to that without, you know, everybody else watching because if we do something old school, could you just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? I want you to think about what I've shared with you this morning and where you're at in it. People say, why do we do that? I'm not ashamed of Jesus. No, 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 it's not about you being ashamed. It's about giving you a little secret place. Jesus said, go to your father in secret. So we're all going into our little inner closet right now and seeking our father who's in secret. And where... If you were honest with yourself, would you say ask yourself the, this question, where am I at in my confidence in God in the area of this foundation of prayer because it's so foundational? Do I believe it's a, real, a solid solution to real-world problems? And do I expect miracles in my life daily or at least regularly? And do I persevere in the hope that God will bring it to pass? And if you're struggling there, you're saying, I want all that, but I don't have that, Can I get you to get honest for a moment? Would you just raise your hand? I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up. I just, I see you back there. Awesome. Anybody else? Yes, I will love you. Thanks for responding to heaven on that. You know, going to church, attending church doesn't make you a Christian, right? Any more than going to like McDonald's makes you a hamburger. (laughs) You can hang out with Christians but not actually be in covenant with Jesus Christ. The only deciding factor that makes a Christian a Christian is a covenant. We know men and women in our day who live together, but they've never made a covenant to one another what we call marriage covenant. They've never made the covenant. They enjoy all the benefits of marriage, but they don't actually make the covenant. They are not married, even though they hang out and act like they are. You could be in church and act like a Christian, but until you say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to surrender my life to you. Until that's happened, uh, you're not actually in the house of God. You're hanging out with the family, but you're not in the family. He wants to bring you into the family if you're not. To do that, you just got to believe that Jesus left heaven, he came to earth, that he died on a cross for our sins and rose again, that anyone believing in him would not perish, but have eternal life. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I, I feel a stirring, I, yeah, I hang out, but I want the reality of what you've talked about today. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'm not gonna call you up either, I'm just gonna pray for you. I see you, yes, anybody else? Love it, God loves that. God, the angels in heaven rejoice with you. You can put your hands down. Would y'all join and respond? Can we pray a responsive prayer together? Uh, for those uh, for, to, to lead people to Christ. And then we're gonna deal with our unbelief as it pertains to prayer. Would you, would you just pray this with me? Could you say something? like this? say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I think that would play for all of us. You could probably get a little bolder on that one. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit and empower me to do the works of God. I wanna be one who brings the kingdom in my sphere. Jesus, I confess you're Lord of my life and you're Lord of the church and I ask that you would strengthen me to see prayer as a real solution to real problems. Increase my faith to expect miracles every day and give me the fortitude to persevere and not give up until I see your breakthrough. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Let me hand it back over to your leadership.